Hey everyone, and welcome back to Country Music Made Me. Thank you so much for joining us once again. If you haven't already, please be sure to check out our website, countrymusicmademe.com. There you can listen to all of our episodes and you can also sign up for our newsletter to receive exclusive content like previews of upcoming episodes. So just head over to countrymusicmademe.com and hit subscribe. Now on to today's episode. We are excited to welcome Brooke Moriber. She grew up in New York City in a musical family, and her musical career began at the young age of eight when she began performing on Broadway in Les Mis. Now, after going through some very difficult personal issues during her teenage years, like her parents divorcing and also losing her eyesight for four years due to a rare eye disease, her focus shifted and she wanted to become a musical artist to be able to share her story and share her emotions. Now, it began in the pop world, but she quickly realized that her songwriting was more suited to country music. And so in 2017, she began making trips to Nashville, and ever since, she has been on a journey of discovery and evolving into who she is as a country music artist. So please enjoy our conversation with Brooke Moriber. So do you split time between New York and Nashville or how does that work with your schedule these days? Uh, gosh, it's a lot of traveling. I basically spend um, probably 50% here, 50% there. And I've definitely considered moving to Nashville, but I am such a born and raised native New Yorker that it's hard to, I mean, if I was going to live anywhere else, it would be Nashville because I love it so much. And it feels like it is my second home, uh, but I'm having trouble actually like leaving my roots in New York city. <laughs> Let's go back to the beginning and growing up in New York, because I like to follow the journey of an artist from when they first began to find out how music has kind of uh, inspired this entire journey. And so growing up in New York, you were sort of right in the epicenter of the city. And so what was that like? I mean, I'm from a smaller city, so I don't really understand what it's like to grow up in the hustle and bustle of that craziness. So what was that like for you when you were younger? Well, it's interesting. I grew up in a part of the city called Greenwich Village, which is a very small, close-knit kind of community, artistic area in the city. And I grew up across the street from Washington Square Park where you could hear all the different you know, musical styles and I could hear it from my window as a kid. So, um, you know, I did, I wasn't actually, I didn't actually grow up centrally in the middle of like Times Square area or anything like that. I don't think right. I, could ever, I could ever live there. Although I just, I did live on 38th between 8th and 9th for a while before I moved here, which was, it was a little bit away from it, but it was kind of right in between Port Authority and Madison Square Garden and Times Square was right there. And it was a little crazy. So I'm really glad I'm actually back in Greenwich Village now, uh, which I personally think is like the coolest neighborhood in the world. And tell me about the first piano that you played on. I saw it on your social media. <laughs> I think you're about three years old. Was that a piano that was in your home or was that in a grandparent's home or, or another family member? That piano still exists. It's at my mom's who also still lives in Greenwich Village. And uh, 
It is right now, it doesn't have its phalanges. So it just, you press it and it just echoes, echoes, echoes. We need to fix it. Oh, okay. um, but it was a beautifully sounding, a beautiful sounding piano. It was my grandparents' piano. Um, so I, you know, I kind of, I didn't really have lessons much. I basically self taught, but uh, I had, I had done lessons for a little while and then. Uh, I was a very busy kid. It was doing singing and dancing and, and piano. And my parents were like, we got to, you know, quiet it down a little bit, which, you know, maybe piano or ballet. I was like, I want my point shoes. So I chose ballet, <laughs> <laughs> which I, I kind of regret, but I almost feel like I'm a better writer because I'm not a brilliant pianist. I kind of just accompany myself singing and coming up with melodies as opposed to being a great sight reader i learn everything by ear and i think that's actually helpful to me uh i wish i could play better than i do but i play well enough for singer songwriters <laughs> right and so growing up being surrounded by music and you talk about being a busy kid and wanting to do everything now was there a point in your childhood where music really took hold or because it was just always around you just it was it just something that you had within you well, I think I was singing before I even knew how to speak. I was a very, very loud child. God bless my parents. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually, my parents put together a Christmas party um, and they used to do one every year. And I just kind of, it's funny, I'm a very shy adult, but I don't think I was a shy kid. I just got up and started singing in front of everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and my mom's friend said, you know, I have, uh, my cousin is a, is a kid's manager, you know, maybe you want to look into that. And my mom actually used to uh, act and sing and dance and do, you know, film and TV and Broadway stuff a lot. And, you know, she was kind of like, oh, I don't know if I want my kid getting into this. I bet, and yeah. My dad also used to play the drums, so it's kind of a musical family. I think he played at Carnegie Hall once, which was pretty cool. But he, Oh, wow. They both gave up their, you know, their musical dreams for a, a, just, you know, normal good life and family. And unfortunately, they got divorced, and that was a disaster, but that's another story. <laughs> but um, the point is, is that one day my parents... Uh, one evening they came home from seeing a Broadway musical called Les Miserables. And I heard the little girl on the record and I must've been like seven years old. And I was like, I, I want to do that. I can do that. Why can't I be the little girl on the record? I heard the, you know, little Cosette sing Castle on a Cloud. Right. And uh, about eight years old is when I sang over the phone for this manager uh, I sang somewhere out there from American Tale, and uh, she got me an audition for Les Miserables. And my parents were like, you know, it's probably not going to happen. Just get ready for disappointment. And I booked my first audition, and it should always be that easy. But I was, abs I mean, to have my first professional gig uh, just in the big Broadway theater playing this amazing role was just probably the most thrilling way to get someone addicted to show business that you could possibly do. So I've been an addict ever since. And so were you eight, eight years old when, for that audition? I was. Yeah. So when you're that young, when you're going through the audition process, did you understand what was going on? It was fun, man. I was, well, I'll tell you this. 
I auditioned. I'm sure I, I think I do remember getting a little nervous. I was like, oh, what's this feeling? Because I'd never felt that before. But I think it was also excitement. And I uh, do remember that my first performance, I got on the stage and uh, I could hear the Castle and Cloud music start playing and little Cosette starts sweeping and you're on a turntable and there's a scrim and then when the scrim comes up you see the audience. I felt the scrim start going up and the music start and the butterflies in my stomach that I'd never felt before because I'd never experienced before and I almost ran off the stage and the stage manager kind of like butted me out by my butt just kind of pushed me it was like you gotta go on you gotta go on and I was like I can't do it I can't do it and they pushed me on and the minute I got on the stage and started singing, all the nerves were gone and it felt like home. And it still feels like that. I'm always very nervous before important performances. And then once I start singing or performing, I feel at home. So that never changed. <laughs> and so growing up more around the performance side of music, like music on a stage and people performing to an audience. I know I've heard you talk about the difference between Broadway and you know, singing on stage, because Broadway, you have to pretend the audience isn't there, you're acting, whereas if you're just singing, you're trying to engage with the audience. And so when you're eight, and you start musical theater, did you understand that difference growing up more around the performance side of music? Did you understand that you were supposed to leave the audience and not pay attention to them? Yeah, you know, I feel like the fear when you see all those people up there instinctually makes you kind of block it out. Oh, okay. Uh, I don't know if anybody ever told me that, but you know, yeah, it's interesting. Even as a kid, I like, I was excited to perform on Broadway and I ended up doing a bunch of Broadway shows cause that's what you do in New York city, you know? So, and I was, I mean, my gosh, I'm so lucky that I have had all those experiences and made a little family with the Broadway community. And I will forever be incredibly grateful for that. Um, but I always in the bottom of my heart wanted to be a recording artist. So as a little kid, I would just, you know, run around just singing, you know, to all these, you know, artists that I was listening to and just pretending to be a recording artist. And I always wanted, I had this kind of odd, weird obsession with voices being forever recorded on CDs and that they lived forever. I don't think CDs, you know, exist anymore, but they did when I was. Yeah. <laughs> and now I want to talk about, you mentioned your parents divorcing and that's another story, but I did want to sort of touch on that. And I wanted to just ask you what that time was like for you as a kid, but also how it's driven you now and how that experience has shown you to push through and never give up and to just continue pushing no matter what's happening. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Both of my parents really kind of, I mean, they they went through, it, it's, it's hard to see people who loved each other so much become so enwrapped in the process of, you know, they both wanted me the custody battle, it was really, really hard. And um, at the same time, uh, when I was a teenager and this was going on, I developed an eye disease that stole my eyesight for four years. So that kind of, I feel like I had a really wonderful childhood until all the hit the fan. <laughs> um, I, I don't think I have, I mean, yeah, it was, it was a really, 
it was a really tough time um, for all of us. And, uh, you know, we struggled financially. It was evicted from five apartments, you know, carrying dollhouses down the street, running from the police that were like banging on the door. It was pretty traumatic. Uh, but I, I do feel strangely thankful for all of the trauma because and, you know, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. Losing your eyesight for four years is pretty awful and the scariest thing that's ever happened to me. But when I came out on the other side of it, I realized that I had become a songwriter because that's what had gotten me through the process. And I fell in love with songwriting because when you're a kid going through all of that, it's the most, I mean, I think if you're an adult too, it's such an isolating feeling. No one can help you. The doctors can't figure it out. They... They give you all this. I mean, I was on chemotherapeutic drugs for four years and losing my hair on top of not having my eyes and steroids and just horrible health side effects from the medications. And when I got my eyesight back, I was just like, I'm never going to forget how strong I am that I got through this. And I am never going to take for granted the gift that it gave me. And also, the day they took, I had a surgical procedure after the disease went into remission to, um, they basically, I had cataracts when I was a kid from all the, you know, the inflammation and the steroids and all that stuff because cataracts. So they removed the cataracts. And when they took them out, I was in a cab with my mom looking out the window and I could see the leaves on the trees for the first time in four years. And I was like a dog with my head out the window. I was like, Oh my God, look at that, look at that. It was in such high definition that we don't realize it was, uh, I also, that was also an experience. I said, I will never ever take this for granted. It is just an amazing thing that we can see what's around us and some people don't have that. That's amazing. I went, I went on a long tangent just now, but yeah. <laughs> no, that's, that's okay. There's a lot that happened, a lot to unwrap. Yeah. But during those four years, was there a time where you accepted what was going on or throughout that four years, was it a constant battle day to day, whether it was going to be a good day or whether it was going to be a bad day? It was a constant battle. And I kind of remember I've always been very driven to succeed. Uh, very type A, total perfectionist, you know, the usual thing. <laughs> um, but and I almost, I almost, oh, I always believe that there was a reason for everything. And I just remember getting up every morning and saying, you're a robot. Just do it. Just do everything you have to do to get through this day. Things will be better one day. Just do it. Just, but I, I, you know, the doctors told me that the disease would never go away. I didn't believe it. Um, so I was determined to prove them wrong. And I also started learning how to meditate as a kid. And I asked the doctors what's going on in my eyes really to explain it. And I would just sit in a dark room with my eyes closed and just imagine, you know, killing all the bad cells in my eyes and, and kind of like a video game, boom, 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 peel, you know, just kind of like <laughs> get rid of them. And right. the doctors were shocked when they ran into remission. Like, absolutely. Like, I don't understand what happened. And I, I said, I do. And I, you know, it's, it was, uh, it was just a very interesting uh, way to realize how strong the human spirit can be sometimes. During those four years, is that when the writing began or was it more 
once your eyesight returned that you really dove into the writing? That's, that's, um, the writing began. I mean, I had always written melodies when I was a kid and I would go on the piano and just kind of create melodies and music, you know, even before I was 14, when this all happened, I think I had been doing that for a long time. Uh, but, um, I started really writing when the eye disease hit and when my parents got divorced and, uh, I think the first song, not I think, I think the first real song I ever wrote was a song to my dad during the divorce called Dear Dad that I kind of want to release one day. I think it was pretty good. <laughs> um, but it uh, it's forced me to need it so much in my life. And now it's become my emotional outlet for everything. Like I feel like I can get through everything because no matter how bad or great something is, I can write a song about it. I can internalize it, but I can also externalize it and make it a way to connect with other people who might be going through the same thing. So when the disease, when the disease went into remission, I did make a firm decision. I said, you know what? I get why I'm like here on earth and why this happened to me. I'm going to connect with other people on a deeper level with my own music. I love performing on Broadway and having that wall between us, but I want to eye to eye tell you this is what I went through and see someone go, me too, and just have that human connection. And so when the disease went into remission, was it pretty instant that you felt that weight lifted off and you were able to move on? Or did it take some time after your eyesight returned to actually get back to normal and actually get back to a positive place? Well, it's interesting, even during the eye disease. So I wasn't in pitch, pitch black but I could, I could only see colors and shapes, like they're kind of floating around. Like I could, you know, I could see that there's a person in front of me, but I couldn't make out their face. Right. And it was also very painful, like any kind of lighter. And, you know, so it was as close as you can get to like not seeing at all because I couldn't see anything, but I'm very thankful that it wasn't like pitch black. Um, but um, to answer your question, which I'm now trying to remember what your question was. Oh, just, yeah, once the disease went into remission, was it pretty instant that you felt better, that you felt okay to move on, or did that take some time? So physically and emotionally, physically, when the disease went into remission, I felt less pain in my eyes, which was great, but I couldn't see much. I felt, saw a little bit better, but not much because I had these thick, thick cataracts from the disease. So right. The day that they took the cataracts is the day that I was like, oh, my God, when they took out the cataracts, I was like, I can't believe like I can see like it was it's the moment was unbelievably thrilling. Um, but I actually managed to do some performing while it was going on. And I honestly have no idea how. I did it, but I remember I had to like jump into someone's arms on stage and I was like, oh my gosh, how am I going to do this? And I missed the guy because I couldn't see. Right. And I would just like run, run, run. I was like, pray, 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 pray. bam. And they're like, what, how, why did that happen? You know, but I have to say the, the Broadway community knew what was going on. Um, and obviously there were times I couldn't perform at all, but they were incredible in supporting me through the this t horrible time and i remember trying to rehearse for a show and everyone getting the sheet music and i couldn't even steve to find where the chair was that i had to sit on and just learning everything on my little mp3 player and just you know somehow i'm getting through that so i i was always 
I was always positive through the whole thing. I think, I mean, I definitely had terrible days where I, you know, I couldn't take it anymore. And I remember breaking a, uh, coffee table at my mom's once because I was so angry at the disease. But, uh, you know, but I think I was continuously positive um, on the good days, the bad days. I just kind of let myself have a bad day. Right. And there was a point, I believe it was after you regained your eyesight that you went into your agent's office, your Broadway agent, and said, please don't book me anything else because I want to become an artist. When was that? And how did that decision come about? And what was it like emotionally when you finally came to that decision and made the realization, I want to be a performer? So I had been trying to dance at two weddings for a really long time. I was trying to do, you know, once the eyesight was back and I was feeling good, I was trying to do the Broadway thing and the recording thing and the film and television thing all at the same time. And that's impossible. Uh, and I first went to my agent's office and said, okay, stop sending me on Broadway shows. I can't do this anymore. That was the scariest thing I'd ever done because I, I thought, am I ruining my life? I have a real career doing this. I have, you know, healthcare for the rest of my life because I could be on Cobra forever now. I've done so much work. You know, that's like, who does, who walks into their agent's office and says, I'm done. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. So I, I said, I, I, I need to stop. You can send me in film and TV stuff. If you want to drop me because I'm not making you any money right now, understood. But right now I can't, I can't travel back and forth to Nashville and focus on my recording career and then rehearse from 10 to 6 every day for the next Broadway show while I'm performing at night in the Broadway show that I'm in. And then on my lunch hours, going to auditions. And then on my between matinee and evening shows, having physical therapy because we're all singing and dancing on a rake stage and our joints hurt. Right. So, <laughs> so there's no way, there's no time for extra creativity when you're doing that. So my agent was very understanding and it was honest. And then I think it was a matter of a couple of weeks later. It was like, you know what? I'm done. Stop sending me on everything. I am fully committed to my recording career. I've made a second home in Nashville. And um, and he was actually very happy for me and uh, very supportive. And uh, I have a lot of friends in the Broadway community right now. They're like, they're just so supportive of what I'm doing still. And just, uh, so it feels really good. And, and I'm, I was really honestly terrified when I made that decision because I didn't know what the outcome was going to be. Not yeah. only that, like here's a native New Yorker who's a country musician, you know, breaking into the country scene. And, you know, I was so pleasantly surprised. My first trip to Nashville. Yeah. Was, when was that? Ah, uh, maybe six years ago, maybe even seven years ago, I think probably six. Um, and I walked into my first writing session and I was just like, okay, they're going to think it's this kid from New York who doesn't know what she's doing. It's country music. What are you doing? Right. And I just, I grew up listening to that stuff. And, you know, so that's just, it's in my blood. And I, uh, I walked in and I just felt like they welcomed me with open arms and the session was so invigorating and it was the kind of writing that I love to do where you're just. I don't know. It was just, it felt like home. And I mean, like my best friend in Nashville was in that writing session Now we became best friends and, you know, we're just, it's very, uh, it's amazing how, how it was just so quick for me to say, okay, 
this is where I belong. This is it. This was the right decision. And how many years before that had you been going down more of the pop route? Because that's where you started, right? Sort of in the pop world. So pop, yeah. So how many Uh, years before Nashville was that? I would say maybe three years. I was working with a label out in LA for a bit, and uh, I just felt like in every session that I was in, I was writing pop music and singing pop music, but my every part of my being wanted to make it more country. (laughs) Uh, And um, I ended up doing a performance out in uh, Genghis Cohen in LA. I don't know if you know that club, but it's this really cool club connected to a, to um, a a Chinese restaurant, but it's a really really cool little venue. And uh, this guy came up to me and said, Hey, my brother's a producer in Nashville. I think you'd do really well there. And it was like, it was meant to be, it was like, you know, I always say like, you know, how did you get become a country artist? It's a country artist, country music found me. And I was so lucky that he was there. He introduced me to his brother. Um, so his name is Larry Mullen. His brother is Fred Mullen, who happened to have produced my girl crush from forever because my parents used to play her constantly and she's my vocal idol linda ronstadt and so he had recorded her last vocal actually and um i got to record a full album with him and after recording that full album i ended up signing with reviver records who i'm with now and uh i love them this feels like a nice little family over there And so how important has Fred been to this journey in being there from the beginning in Nashville and helping sort of guide you and transition you to the country world? He, oh my gosh, uh, not only that, he just, you know, was one of those people that made me feel even more that Nashville was home. You know, even when we're not working together and I'm just traveling back and forth, he's, you know, he knows I'm there. He's like, have they fed you? Can, can I give you dinner? Can you come over and eat? He's like my dad in Nashville. Right. <laughs> um, but he really helped me grow and find, you know, uh, just kind of discover the realness that I wanted to find in my music, if that makes any sense. And, yeah. you know, saying and writing the music that I'm not trying to be anything but me and my message. And uh, I had kind of, waver for a while kind of figuring out you know what is my style what do I write about what do you know I knew right away what that was when my eyesight came back but I kind of lost it along the way and um the past couple of years I just it was like a light bulb and I was just like I know exactly what I'm supposed to write (laughs) think back to when well that's what I was going to ask you when you first arrived in Nashville because I saw a post on your Instagram I think it said like New York tough and Nashville strong. And so was there a transition there of learning how to open yourself up and how to be open to the other songwriters and not sort of close yourself up? Definitely. I think for me, more of that transition was the fact that I used to write all my music by myself. I wasn't right. used to co-writing. And uh, now I'm addicted to co-writing because you think you have a great idea, but then someone else is like, well, what if we did this with this? And I mean, having, you know, not too many people, cause then it's like too many cooks over the pot, but having, you know, and finding and developing relationships with other people that 
you know, you become so close to them because you talk about such personal stuff when you're writing that that is that openness that uh, Nashville has definitely made me feel more comfortable in my own skin. I actually never used to talk about my eye disease before because I thought, you know, like I was saying, some people in, in on Grown Up when I was doing Broadway, they understood what I was going through, but that was a select group of people, like a, the director of the show I was doing right then and there that I had to explain it to, but I tried to keep it quiet because uh, I didn't want people to think, oh, she's not going to be able to perform, and I just pushed through it. But now it's kind of like I feel like the more real I am, the better everything is. I don't have to hide anything. I can be exactly who I am. Uh, and that whole New York tough, Nashville strong thing, um, I will correct, not correct you, but just let everybody know, New Yorkers, we're really, really tough, but we also have huge hearts. Like we're, we're like, we have this tough shell just cause, you know, just cause, you know, yeah. we're at the subway and we're like, you know, uh, but I think we're pretty awesome people. Uh, but I, um, I I find that they have this, you know, Nashville and New York kind of has the same mentality of like, you know, the strength and resilience. And I kind of was doing, you know, I was doing posts like that on social media for my new first single that I just released with Reviver, which is This Town Made Us, yeah. which is a song that I wrote for the two places I consider home, which is Nashville and New York. And, you know, it is a song about hometown pride and just, you know, not letting anything tear you down. And I wrote it um, in 2020 when uh, first the tornado had ripped through Nashville and I had just landed back in New York City a day before that happened. And then okay. a week later, the pandemic was ripping through the hospitals in New York City. So I felt like both of my homes were just being torn apart. And it was really heartbreaking, but at the same time, very inspiring and reminded me of what I like to write about and why I write about it. It's all about overcoming and strength and resilience. And um, so I wanted to write a song that kind of embodied that feeling of that New York tough, Nashville strong thing. So that's how uh, this town made us was born. I actually did it over Zoom with my friends, uh, Bill Luigi and Cassandra Kabinsky. And uh, we wrote it pretty quickly. And when we were done, uh, I actually, the day that we wrote it, I had read an article on the New York Post that pissed me off so much saying New York City is dead. And New York doesn't die. We're like, <laughs> you, you'll tear us down. We'll build it back up bigger and better and stronger. That's just how it goes. So I was in a, I was, I, you know, because I'm so proud of my roots, I just, and I feel like the native New Yorker in me is just, you know, I get very defensive. So I was really upset when I got on the Zoom and I was almost in tears because I was so upset that somebody could say this about my hometown. And, and Bill and Cass were like, let's write a song about that. I was like, yeah, let's write a letter to this guy. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so but it, it became a song not about the idiot at the post, but a song about these two places that I love so much and the people that lived there and the people that stayed and, you know, and, and, and their strength and resilience. And uh, so it's basically a song for anyone from anywhere who takes pride in where they come from. And I'm super proud of the song. Right. And this song now going back to about 2017 is when you started 
recording in Nashville. And it feels like that music at that time, you were still transitioning from the pop world and it had a more poppy feel to it. Now, moving forward to this new single, do you think you're moving more towards who you are as a country singer? Definitely. And I do think that my country sound is kind of country pop, you know, so it's, uh, you know, it's, it's like what a lot of the, you know, I'm very inspired by like Carly Pierce and Ingrid Andrus and uh, Maren Morris, that kind of, you know, it's country music, but we're combining some other elements as well. And because I grew up in New York City and I was surrounded by so many different types of music, I think it sneaks in there a little bit and always will. And that's part of my identity. And um, the the songs that I have been recording this year and writing this year they all feel like light bulb moments to me. I'm just like, this is it. That's, that's the sound. That's the message. And I'm so excited about all of it. I can't, I just can't wait to keep releasing the songs. We've got a bunch we've recorded that I'm like, Oh, I want to release it already, but we're just, you know, letting it lead us to its thing. And you know, yeah. <laughs> and now with the way recording has been going over the past couple of years, I saw that you did some work in a home studio and you've been sort of setting up a little space for yourself. <laughs> there you go. So on the production side of things, is that something you've sort of been learning more about over the last couple of years, or have you always had an interest in that side? I have, you know, I always was a little bit like, Oh, garage band is cool. Let me play around with this. But 2020, I think forced a lot of us to get our, you know, home studio stuff together because we couldn't go into studios. So we had to learn to record ourselves and to do it, not just like a crappy little work tape demo. So I've definitely, since 2020, honed my skills a lot better. I don't ever want to be the producer. I will right. never be that good at it. <laughs> but I, you know, have gotten to a point where, you know, I can plug in the guitar and the piano and my voice and put down some demos and you know, give the producer an idea of what I want the song to sound like. So it's a, it's a really good tool. And I'm thankful, not thankful for COVID, but I'm thankful to 2020 for forcing me to get better at that. And you mentioned the guitar. Now the piano started when you were young. When did you pick up the guitar? I have only been playing the guitar for about two and a half, maybe three years. Oh, wow. I, but I am addicted to it. And I think at this point, I, I mean, it's it's crazy. I I don't touch the piano as much as I should now because I'm so addicted to the guitar. Um, but it, it's interesting. It came to me very, very quickly. Um, and I thought it was going to be really, really hard. And uh, it came to me faster than piano ever did. So I feel okay. like I was meant to be a guitar player. Um, but I don't want to, I'm not going to, you know, offend my, my little keyboard over here. Um, <laughs> it's like, Mama, what are you saying? <laughs> I love my keyboard and I love writing on my keyboard. Um, the guitar is just so much easier to, to like travel with too. My gosh, like I've been radio touring and if I had to lug my 88 key weighted keyboard that weighs like a hundred pounds and I used to have to do that all the time when I was performing, I'd have to drag this heavy keyboard everywhere. Right. Um, and like, you know, sometimes my dad would have to carry it. Or, but I just, I, um, I just... You know, it's so much easier to travel with a guitar. So it's easier to just pick it up and start playing. And with your mom and dad along this journey, they were ones who 
sort of gave up on their musical aspirations when they became adults and had a family. Now, when they look at you and how hard you're pursuing this and the success you're seeing, what do they think about this journey now after seeing you at eight and saying, you know, not sure if they want to get you into this world? Well, once I started performing when I was eight years old, they were fully behind me and just like, okay, we're, we, we got you with this, you know, and they were, they've always been excited about my career since then. Um, and uh, my mom like semi managed me for a while. Uh, when oh, okay. I was uh, but you know, both of them, they are, they're very proud and, and really supportive and excited. They were both, um, individually a little nervous when I stopped doing Broadway like oh my god what is she doing <laughs> uh, which only made me even more terrified <laughs> but uh, they're they're both so excited about what I'm doing now and they love music so much so um, they're they're getting to kind of live what some of what they couldn't continue to do through me and um, so it's nice and how therapeutic has it become for you on stage like as compared to Broadway and now, performing how therapeutic is it and what what is the feeling is it different from when you were performing on Broadway it is a very different experience I mean I still get the the same kind of high that I got when I performed on Broadway but the experience um you know what I loved about performing on Broadway is that I do love to act I love becoming a character and losing myself and becoming someone else completely and that's so fun um but it's also, you know, it was also a, a scary transition for me to, like I was saying earlier, to kind of open myself up and let people just kind of see me. Right. Uh, and I think part of the Broadway musical theater stuff kind of tapped into my shyness where I can just be like, no one has to see the real me. I'm just a character. They don't really have to get to know me. Right. And uh, this time, I think, you know, the high comes from this feeling of being accepted for everything you are because I put everything I am into my music and I put all of myself into my live shows. And then I look, look out and see somebody who's just like, like there was, I performed at the bluebird a couple of weeks ago and I saw this girl in the front row and she was just like, like I, I, there was, I was like, she was my, my anchor. She was just like with me. And that, you know, that doesn't happen uh when you're you know performing to hundreds of people as a character so right and with the bluebird and i know you've performed at the listening room and venues like that now not being from nashville and not necessarily growing up being focused on nashville what do those venues mean to you they i mean it means uh, so much to me in for so many way for so many reasons just kind of every time i step into them and, and perform in them, I'm just like, wow, I, I've been just welcomed in this community so beautifully and I belong here. Like, I didn't think I was gonna feel like that. I was, my concern was that, that I wouldn't fit in. And um, there's also this casual aspect to all of these performances in Nashville when you're in those, those like, you know, they're like iconic venues, but it's like, oh, you know, we're gonna try a new song out here, see how this goes. And, <laughs> You know, I don't come from, I didn't come from that world. Everything had to be perfect, 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 you know? You right. Know? Step right here. If you're a second away from your light, you're screwed, you know? Um, but I love that feeling of realness 
that's what Nashville has brought to me, just this openness and letting everything in and letting every letting people in and letting everything out. So, yeah, that's what it means. And so what is the next year looking like for you? You talk about you already have music ready to go. So what can fans expect of this music that will be coming out? Uh, a lot of live performances coming up soon that are really exciting that I will be announcing on my Spotify page and uh, a lot of radio touring and a lot of music being released. So the, the plan now is is to release more music uh, in between each radio single. So there's going to be a lot of cool stuff coming out that I finally can release that I've been sitting on. So I'm really excited for everyone to hear it. And how confident are you with the musician that you are becoming and like you say sort of being welcomed into the country music community and finding who you are and, and really getting your steps within the genre and finding a place for yourself within it oh gosh confidence is a complicated word <laughs> i mean i think i speak for every artist we all have such insecurities about ourselves uh, but the fact that I am confident that I am where I'm supposed to be and I'm confident that even though I feel like I, all the music I'm making, I'm so proud of it. I know I'm going to keep growing. And every single time I write us, I'm like, oh my God, I'm never going to, we're never going to have a song as good as this one. I'm just, you know, not going to be able to, but every, I mean, there's so much growth constantly. It never stops. And just i'm i'm so excited about the feeling of discovering myself through the music it's been so invigorating so uh yeah and my confidence about you know stopping the career that i had before and choosing this one 100 percent. do you ever see a time of going back do you ever see a time of jumping onto a broadway show if you're able to I would love to do a Sarah Bareilles, Jennifer Nettles thing one day, like what they did with Waitress, like write a musical and start it. That'd be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to fully like, don't even, I like, don't even think about that. Like, I don't know, 10, 20 years from now, maybe something like that, but I'm so enjoying what I'm doing right now. So, yeah. And is there anything in New York that you do like any regular stuff living there? Oh yeah, I mean Rockwood Musical is usually my go-to. I do a lot of shows there, oh, okay. uh, and uh, I think it's—I uh, don't know if you know the whole kind of Lower East Side neighborhood, but there's all these little clubs that you know. New York is still a real hub for music, um, so you know, just because I'm making a lot of music in Nashville, I also still make a lot of music in New York. I have my oh, producer okay. that I work with, um, Matt Anthony. Shout out. Uh, <laughs> And um, I also want to give it just a quick shout out to my producer, Dave Pittenger and Craig Alvin. They've, they're producing a lot of the music that I'm releasing from Nashville right now, as well as Fred, who I've worked with in the past and going to do some stuff in the future with him as well. So um, I am just so lucky to be surrounded by these amazing creative geniuses on both in New York, the New York spectrum and Nashville. So. That's awesome. And I think Dave was someone who you started working with during the pandemic and yes. you didn't actually meet him in person until after you had no, like created a few songs. It was crazy. We actually recorded everything, every vocal in New York City. We did. So I did the demos in my home studio and he would put together, you know, the, the you know, kind of a demo instrumentation just to make sure we had this, the right key, the right tempo. And then all of the 
recording of that was, you know, really in the summer of 2020. So no one was going anywhere. Right. And right. Uh, I recorded my vocals in my producer in the city, Matt Anthony's studio. So Matt did some vocal engineering for the project. And then um, we were zoomed in to to Dave. And then Dave was, was um, uh, I'm forgetting the name of the program. I think it's Audio Drivers. I'm quoting that wrong, but it's an audio link that lets him hear exactly what's coming through the sound, sound uh, board. Right. So uh, it's pretty high tech and cool. And it seems like a lot of people were doing it that way. And uh, but we didn't meet at all during the whole process. So, but there was a cute TikTok video of the two of us meeting for the first time. <laughs> Does that change things when you're actually able to meet in person? Does it just give it that, you know, that more personal touch? Does it just feel different now when you're moving forward producing with him? It's so funny. We actually became such good friends during the whole process that meeting him in person, it was great, but we don't feel any less or more close from it. I just, you know, it felt like we had already met in person, even though we hadn't. It was just such a such a surreal world that we live in these days. I feel like I've worked with so many people on Zoom that I feel like I've actually met, but I actually haven't. Thank you once again so much for joining us. And thank you to Brooke for stopping by and sharing her story. Be sure to check out her new single, This Town Made Us, wherever you stream your music. Please also be sure to check out our website, countrymusicmademe.com. There you can listen to all of our episodes and also sign up for our newsletter to receive exclusive content like previews to upcoming episodes. Just head over to countrymusicmademe.com and hit the subscribe button. Now, if streaming is your thing, you can still find us on any streaming platform as well. Just search Country Music Made Me. Thank you so much once again for joining us, and we will see you next time on Country Music Made Me.